welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by wealthy bad guys and poorly trained henchmen. I guess you're going for quantity, not quality. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Finder Outer. The detective with no powers, no partners, and no problem. He'll just solve the case by finding out. CW is the finder router. Welcome, everybody, to the vessel. I am Wes. <laughs> I am Todd. And this is a film podcast where we, as filmmakers, actors, writers, producers, look at films and see what we would do different and how it could be 10 times better. Just kidding. Uh, no, we look at what other yeah, right. actual professionals and are sometimes, doing. Sometimes. 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 But more often than not, we're, we're just kind of enjoying the ride. I know uh, movies are pretty easy to watch in our pop culture but watching it with the aspect of like how they do that or why did they do that um and sometimes how things intertwine that you don't imagine they'll intertwine like the story will sometimes be really well reflected in uh, some camera movement or the way they light it and it all plays into communicating a feeling or a, a moment or you know hopefully something even bigger uh, about the story itself and those are the fun things like i've feel like I caught some fun things in today's uh, show, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're pretty good about just watching a movie. And this is one of the things I really appreciate about you because what, turning my brain off. Yeah. I'm great at that. Well, <laughs> well, what's great about it is, no, I, uh, I am. <laughs> well, what I find remarkable about it is we'll be talking about a movie or we'll walk out of a movie and you will remember so much more of the movie than I will. And you'll usually trigger memories, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that did happen. But normally I'm very much the kind of moviegoer where I walk out of the movie, and the only thing I can remember is how it ended. <laughs> like I don't remember <laughs> almost anything else until I really start working at it, whereas you'll walk away from a movie, and you'll have like six things throughout the movie. And even as we're going to have this conversation, like you'll remember these random little bits and pieces really, really well. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess that happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if I don't write it down, there's like a 90% oh, chance yeah. I'm not going to remember it. That's, that's so interesting because I, I think you're like – you're, you're very much a big picture kind of guy too. Obviously you're, you're, I mean, you're a director, so you're in the details of course, but you're in the details as it pertains to the big picture. And I, I'm less of, of that. I think, I think I'm more of just like a, I can only concentrate on one thing at a time. So either I retain it or I don't hmm. <laughs> maybe, but yeah, usually like if something jumps out at me that I really liked or really didn't like, it just kind of stays with me and I can't get rid of it. So that's it's more of like a uh, like a niggle that I can't get rid of, rather than something that I want to remember sometimes. But mm. but but yeah, you know, like it's it's been funny. Like doing this podcast is really like when we started this, it was yeah, I I I do love movies. You know, that that's a great idea, and and you know, I I've, I've loved them for a long time. But you know, it was music that was my thing, right? There's just so much that I've learned from the beginning until now. I mean, you know, obviously with the relationship with music and film is, is important and, and, and I've learned how, how, just how important in the last couple of years, but really just filmmaking in general and, and the respect and like of the genre more so than I had before, you know, I knew what it took to make an album. I knew what it took to run a band. I knew what it took to put a tour together, but to produce a film, 
you know, or to direct a film or to hell to even star in a film, you know, like it is, you know, it is a, a labor of love from hundreds of people sometimes all needing to do their job really well, which I respect so much. I mean, I was a football player growing up. And so that's it. It's that pure team effort. And if one person drops the ball and the whole thing falls apart, not so much in this case, in, in the case of film, but in a lot of ways it is, you know, I mean, if the, if the gaffer messes up, you just fire him and you get a new gaffer, but he might've screwed up a scene and that might've been the scene, you know, I don't know. I've just, I've just, dis- you know, like rediscovered my, or discovered this love of film that like I didn't have when we first started. And it's been really an, an awesome journey. And uh, yeah, so I, each week that we do this, I really look forward to it and like learning from you and like what you come, come to, because yeah, like you said, like I'm, I remember these like little nuggets and that's great, but what is, what do they mean in, in terms of the whole context of the, the whole thing. Right. And that's where I think that we kind of like feed well off of each other because you have this like bigger picture thing, idea like that I mentioned before that I don't always have, you know, I try to, and I've tried to develop that. I think I'm better than I was before, but, but still it's, no, it's I'd, the role of a director, you know, <laughs> that, that's a great point. Um, and I would absolutely agree. You've definitely gotten better at it. And I'm always floored whenever there's like this thing. And I feel like with storytelling and the, the you know, the craft of storytelling, sometimes there's these little things that they look little, but there's so much in there almost once or twice an episode, every single episode, uh, I'll be going through my, you know, list of garbage and I will make a, a point and either you'll counter or you'll add on top of it and like, oh yeah. Uh, and that's, it's also reflected by da, 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 da. And I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah, that's right. I need to write that down. <laughs> like, it's always just, uh, that is a great dynamic because you are so much more, uh, in the moment. And even before the show started, like I drift off, all the time and in school I had a really difficult time paying attention to to teachers and I remember even in elementary I was trying to listen to the teacher and remember uh this was like first second grade I remember having this realization that I can't focus on what the teacher's trying to say right now um I keep going off and drifting there was a poster uh with space on it and like there was like a galaxy or something on the poster and I just kind of kept drifting off into the into the poster into the galaxy into the galaxy and I just remember having that realization like crap I need to figure out how you know to pay attention and uh, I've never really gotten very good at that uh, I still drift off but uh, luckily there's other people around that don't drift off <laughs> and keep us all on track yeah yeah so I'm man 115 episode and uh yeah i crazy every single week i go through this weird arc where i don't want to do it where i don't want to sit down and watch the movie and then today i sat down and watched uh casino royale and i just remember having this thought like stop thinking about all the notes you have to take you're gonna get to watch casino royale (laughs) like just yeah chill the hell out and enjoy a movie and whatever comes to you comes to you and whatever you notice you notice if you don't notice anything then so be it um, right. and last week we made a joke about how we do cover cinematography in every single episode. And I was about halfway through the, uh, the movie when I had this realization, like, man, I haven't made any notes about cinematography. I guess we're not going to do it this week. And then immediately I started having all these thoughts. Started about noticing yeah. all the things. So I was like, well, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So what are we going to do today? Oh, well, 
we're gonna we're gonna cover Casino Royale. So if you haven't seen Casino Royale, the uh, the version with Daniel Craig, obviously, pause this episode, go watch it, and and then rejoin us, please. Yeah, because we'll cover a lot of things for sure. Apparently, cinematography, a little bit of the camera work. I don't have a ton there. Uh, they kept it pretty boilerplate in a lot of ways. But we will talk about storytelling, where you know they're rebooting a character like. Like Todd just said, like, this is the one, this isn't even the first Casino Royale, like, let alone the first uh, James Bond. And so we'll touch on a little bit of rebooting a character. Um, we'll talk about seven ingredients to a Bond film. And that's not exhaustive by any means, but these are just the seven that I picked up while watching this iteration. Um, and we'll because also, of 007. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't, I don't, maybe. That's like, see, you did it again. Dang it. <laughs> And we'll also touch on the ending uh, because that threw me for a loop and I had, I chewed on that a lot after after the, the film um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a synopsis of the film, after earning double O status and a license to kill, secret agent James Bond sets out on his first mission as 007. Bond must defeat a private banker funding terrorists in a high stakes game of poker at Casino Royale Montenegro. Directed by Martin Campbell, screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis. Cinematography by Phil Mayhew, starring Daniel Craig as James Bond, Ava Green as Vesper, Mads Mikkelsen as The Chief, and the Dame, Judy Dench as M. You don't think this is a very good plan, do you? So there is a plan. I got the impression we were risking millions of dollars and hundreds of lives on a game of luck. What else can you surmise, Mr. Bond? About you, Miss Lynn? Well, your beauty's a problem. You worry you won't be taken seriously. Which one can say of any attractive woman with half a brain? True, but this one overcompensates by wearing slightly masculine clothing, being more aggressive than her female colleagues, which gives her a somewhat prickly demeanor. And ironically enough, makes it less likely for her to be accepted and promoted by her male superiors who mistake her insecurities for arrogance. Now, I'd have normally gone with only child, but, um... You see, by the way you ignored the quip about your parents, I'm going to have to get with Orphan. All right. By the cut of his suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally think human beings dressed like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money, and your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity, hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. Well, you are. <laughs> I like this poker thing. And that makes perfect sense. Since they're my six looks for maladjusted young men, I give little thought to sacrificing others in order to protect queen and country. You know. Former SAS types with easy smiles and expensive watches. Rolex? Amiga. Beautiful. Now, I haven't just met you. I wouldn't go as far as calling you a cold-hearted bastard. No, of course not. But it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine. You think of women as disposable pleasures rather than meaningful pursuits. So as charming as you are, Mr. Bond, I will be keeping my eye on our government's money. And off your perfectly formed hearts. You noticed. Even accountants have imagination. How was your lamb? Skewered. On sympathizers. Good evening, Mr. Bond. 
Good evening, Miss Lynch. So, yeah, like that's yeah, it's amazing. One of the best scenes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. How was this rewatch for you? Whether good and bad, or was it all good? Was it all fun? Yeah. So this is a, it's a really good question. So I wanted to go into it and with like I mean I went it. Let's be honest. Okay, I went into it with pre preconceived uh, idea, and which was kind of like a little mixed, right? So it was, I know what I'm getting because it's a Bond film, but I know what I get, I'm getting because I've seen it before. Mm. So I'm going to watch it like I don't want to like it because I know what I'm getting and because for both of those reasons, one, I've seen it before and that I know what I'm getting because it's a Bond film. And, you know, it's this guy who just can't do any wrong and, you know, like it's just like fucking perfect and in every way and i loved it i loved every moment of it I, I, I daniel craig is so so good and you know there were there you know were a lot of things like he's never out of breath um huh. pretty much ever you know that first chase scene where he chases that guy and then he finally catches him at the embassy and he's holding him at gunpoint after all of that he's not even breathing heavy bullshit you know it's bullshit but it's kind of the same thing in that case and because of what you just saw like the epicness of that chase and what you just saw i'm all right with just letting that go kind of like how in star wars you let go of the fact that you can hear the space like the, the spaceships flying around and they make like loud sounds you're like whatever it's star wars it's awesome so that was a scenario where i was just like okay is would not happen in real life. But then I all I remind myself, this is a, a little bit, you know, m bigger than, right? So if you, if you watch a different style, uh, spy movie, like, like the Bourne series or even mission impossible, right? They're, they're shot different. It, the stories are different, mm -hmm. right? It, for, for, for different purposes. This is more of the, the playboy, every girl wants him and every guy wants to be him kind of story. Right. And so they adhere to that, you know, I mean, they're re rebooting a, I don't even know when it originally came out sixties, late sixties, early seventies, seventies. Yeah. So they're rebooting something that's, you know, 50 years old. And so they want to adhere to the original in some ways and his persona might be one of those ways right but i do like how they kind of modernized it and so in so many ways obviously with the yachts and the jets and the cars and everything and and the the weapons and all that stuff but also they modernized it by uh, introducing this female who is in many ways not in all physical ways but in many ways is equal mentally right and um tricks him big time <laughs> so yeah so anyway for that that being said you know there were some concessions that i made that was one of them and there were a couple of others but it was nothing that really took me out i mean i found i sat down and i was like okay i'm just gonna it was kind of late at night last night when i was about to watch it and i was like okay i'll watch an hour of it right i ended up watching almost the entire thing and i was like oh, i gotta go to bed you know and um i finished it uh this afternoon but i just didn't want to stop it. You know, I, I thought the writing was really good. It was super long. It was way longer than I thought it was going to be. But I, I remember seeing this in the theater and thinking, oh, it's over. 
and it not being over. And how cool is that? You get a whole nother story, right? You think it's over and then you get a whole, almost a whole nother movie after that. Like it could, could have been uh, a Casino Royale part two in, in some ways. And I just loved that. I remember loving that, like thinking, oh, oh shit, it was over. Now it's not. And it's holding, oh my God. And she's like screwing him over. And oh my gosh, but he loves her. And what, she dies? Oh my God. You know, but she does it. And it, at first when I, wa- when I was watching it and he shoots the, the barrels that are holding the building up, mm. I remember thinking, thinking, I don't remember that. Is he the reason she dies? Oh my gosh. That's traumatic and then and then i and then i saw her lock the door herself and then you know she she did it herself she killed herself basically but uh, so that kind of frees him from the 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 angst of being the reason that she dies but i loved the story i thought it was great i thought it was really well written and i mean there were you know it's it's 007 man there there might be some things where if i were writing it i wouldn't have written that but not writing a 007 movie anytime <laughs> soon. And to take on a movie so, that's so iconic like this and to make it your own, not just from a writing standpoint, from an acting standpoint. I mean, Daniel Craig is is Bond. I mean, he is fantastic in every way. I mean, and I'm 100% sure he is my favorite Bond. Easily. I mean, everybody can say Connery. Everybody can say whomever you want to say. And Connery was great. Don't get me wrong. He was awesome, but... Craig destroys this role and for anybody in the future who wants to try to do it besides maybe Idris Elba, yeah. which I think, were you the one who was saying that they were entertaining that at one yeah. point and then did, did they go against it or is he, uh, I think there was just, yeah, they they were still wanting to hold on to Daniel Craig because of how popular he's been. Um, sure. and if they could get, you know, one or two more movies out with him, then, you know, why wouldn't you? But yeah, he was being, uh, and tossed around and I think mostly by fans and, Maybe yeah. some of the executives, how do you ignore that? Like you have Idris Elba, he's the perfect James Bond. Like you feel that vibe off of him. But yeah, and so he, he was being entertained and there was a lot of backlash in that world uh, from, you know, s- certain segments of uh, the world population about having a black James Bond, which is ridiculous. Oh, what? Yeah. I mean, the only backlash I could see is that he's older. Right. At this point, like. At this I, point, you know. If we had gotten him right at that point, whenever that was the uh that was the goal he would have been perfect and could have perfect. ran out three or four good james bond films but yeah now at this point uh this might be a little past you know his prime not that he still can't you know kick a lot of ass as we noticed in hobbs and shaw um like he still got it but maybe oh, for yeah, yeah. starting a whole new segment of bond films this might be uh a little too late for for idris but i wouldn't be against it but it wouldn't probably be no, my top sure. pick anymore for sure um what do you think i had similar i same reaction slightly different approach i went expecting to just love it and the opening section before the title the the cold open threw me i was like oh no uh because the opening is just wasn't as cool as i remembered it and it's a little clunky and a little easy his first two kills i mean it still had that black and white noir feel yeah Yeah. which i was fine with that Uh, it was i think just the the general feeling of he sits you know the guy walks in and uh, the dialogue felt a little clunky and if you could feel that they were just rushing through it which that in and of itself i'm fine with but this guy you know reaches into his drawer and pulls out the gun 
Like, there's just zero chance that a man waiting to kill you wouldn't have thought to disarm your weapon. Like, that just feels like the the laziest villain like you've ever thought of. And so that section felt a little unimaginative, but I, I do like how it ends where, you know, he's like, they say the, the first one is like, or the second one is, and he kills him. He's like considerable, considerably. And he's, you know, finishing his thought. Oh yeah. That I love as a great way to cut to the credits. Uh, but the opening, it just felt not quite as sleek, um, as I think they wanted it to. And so I was kind of holding my breath, like, Oh my God, am I still going to love this movie? Cause I own it, but I haven't watched it in, you know, a few years now. And then again, the chase sequence happens and I'm like, Oh no, I'm all in. <laughs> like we're doing oh, this. Yeah. We are oh, yeah. all about this. Uh, Cause that sequence is just so high octane and relentless. Like it takes over uh, on the better part of 10 minutes, you know? And it's great because I bet they probably took three or four days to shoot that thing. Um, there was just so much going on in terms of setup, the crane shots and helicopter shots. And, you know, you might set up for four hours just to get, you know, this, two or three second clip as they're running through the forest, you know, so much time went into that thing, but I think it's a really great way to actually introduce us to bond because we're kind of resetting that dynamic of bond. And you have to understand contextually where bond is coming from the Pierce Brosnan films where he is just ultra smooth. And again, he never breaks a sweat, but he, he never really has to, uh, he's never challenged. He's, perfectly smooth everything he does even his combat right uh is just very very uh flowy everything's very flowy uh and smooth with the last bond iteration and here in the chase sequence we get to see that dynamic change in a very visible way because he's uh chasing this guy who is just you know a parkour uh, hero and he is you know doing flips off of cranes 200 feet in the air uh and you know barrel rolling and just killing it and meanwhile Bond is not right. He's I'm not going to chase you. I'm going to grab a bulldozer and I'm going to bust through uh, all these tanks and uh, I'm going to bust through a wall instead of, you know, your little cute exit through the, the window. The I little, loved that. He just breaks through the wall. Such a great way to introduce us to this. Type <laughs> so of good. Um, yeah. And it just sets the stage for a much less glamorous, more rugged James Bond. And even at the end of that, uh, I also loved how, you know, he looks trapped and he looks like he's giving up. And then instead he, uh, he throws down one gun and pulls out another, kills this guy, blows everybody up and exits. Like it's, it's the way he operates. He's not here to, uh, do the least amount of damage. He's there to just do the job the best way that he thinks. And usually that's going to require some brute force. And it is, visually reinforced with his build he doesn't look anything like pierce brosnan he looks like yeah. he's in and out of the gym you know two hours a day every day and it's great so i came away and i i still had that same feeling even uh this time you know I've, now i've maybe not seen this for the last two or three years but uh, i've definitely seen it six seven times and i still get that same feeling of the movie's over oh, wait, we're, we have a whole new story opening up and the betrayal and all that fun stuff. It still grabs me, especially uh, when at the end, when he's recovering and she's sitting there and, and uh, kind of confessing. Eva Green, 
way to sell the love. Like you absolutely have to have that moment in order for the rest of that sequence of the film to make any sense and for any buy-in emotionally. Uh, And she absolutely just like breaks your heart with her confession. God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and when she, so that when she gets up from in the, in the, the hotel, she gets up and she's going to the bank to get money. Never once crossed my mind. I've seen this movie before. Yeah, right. I saw this movie. Yeah. Never crossed my mind that she was going to double cross him. Forgot that completely because of how good that scene was before when he was uh, in the hospital in the wheelchair uh, and her saying, you can have me, you know, all, like just, just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. There's so much patient storytelling happening in that section because we're buying in. They're really taking their time. We see them lounge on the beach and we're building up this life for them that is, you know, going to get truncated after that moment that you're talking about. And it's great because I don't feel, I don't feel bad with that time. I don't feel impatient. I'm enjoying seeing them together. I'm enjoying them, uh, and seeing bond, uh, in love and like vulnerable and committing to someone because this is something, like you said, at, uh, at the beginning, we, never get to see bond in love we never get to see him with someone and like the 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 sound bite that we played you know a minute ago she was right like his whole persona has always been that he he sees women as disposable and not as some uh, meaningful pursuit uh, and that's a great setup for their love affair um, and ultimately obviously she did love him um, uh, she she was kind of caught between two worlds and we'll we'll definitely circle back to that but yeah, I I want to get to that. So I'm going to blast through all these other notes just so that yeah, we can talk let's do about it. it. Um, Cinematography-wise, two things. They're doing a lot of soft lighting, which is fun because they're also doing a very high contrast um, with the image. And the, the high contrast adds a lot of drama to the frame. And what I think they're also doing is it's also reflecting kind of the suit and tie imagery of James Bond by squashing everything so that you have a lot more highlights and a lot more shadows and, you know, popping out in the frame. Um, I feel like that's just a subtle nod to uh, the cocktail attire that he's famous for. There is also a uh, and and I just love how the the high contrast uh, kind of floats really nicely with the the soft lighting that is also echoed in the uh, the luxurious lifestyle of James Bond and, you know, the places that he goes and things that he does. And so they they do a really great job of adding, you know, tension and drama and at the same time luxury to the frame with just those two things, with just the, the soft lighting and the, the higher contrast. As far as like the camera work, pretty pretty on the nose here. I mean, they, a lot of cranes, a lot of dollies and tripod shots when everything's going well and there's, there's no action. And then of course the action sequences, a lot of handheld, a lot of shaky cameras, and they cut to the wides that are still going to give you like these epic crane and helicopter shots, but we're not going to hang out there for too long because there's an action sequence going on. We're going right back into that handheld and those quick cuts. And it's a, I think it goes back to the way he drinks his martini. Now, I've heard that it's not a very good martini if you're a martini lover. I don't know. I'm not 
very good on the whole drink things, but he yeah. likes it shaken, not stirred. And so you have this a fancy drink, right? That has this combination of uh, sophistication and, you know, brutality. And that, I think that kind of defines James Bond in a nutshell. Um, and it's reflected in his drink and, of course, in the way they shoot the film itself because those action sequences are definitely shaken and not stirred. Which is amazing how he orders the martini. When a guy asks him, you want to shake and stir, do I look like I give a damn? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking perfect way to say I'm not your normal James Bond that you've been used to. And I love yeah. how everyone around the table is like, yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, me too. <laughs> like, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> and the annoyance of the villain of all that. Like, ugh. And of course, it comes later, you know, to bite him in the ass, which I think is perfect, too, just while we're riffing on that, uh, because... You, if you're playing poker, you shouldn't be drinking. Like you need all your mental faculties. And he's over here not only playing high stakes poker, but for high stakes, um, you know, globally. And he's over here drinking. And so it should punish him. He should not be rewarded for having a drink at the poker table. And they, they do a really good job of punishing that poor decision making in the story itself. So Yeah, they do. <laughs> Holy hell. What a great <laughs> sequence. Uh-huh. One of the- I remember the first time watching that, like being super stressed out, super stressed out. <laughs> and when he passes out before he can shock himself, I'm thinking, I know he's got to get out of this. But how? How? Did, how? Yeah. Like, it, you know, and then she shows up. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, he's got a partner. <laughs> and it's great because that, that plays right into the, the rule of repeats. Um, she brought him back to life there. But at the end of the movie, he couldn't bring her back to life. Like he's got her on the beach and he's mm-hmm. trying to resuscitate her. Um, and that's just an echo of uh, the kind of re- reciprocity that you want out of a film, uh, some symmetry. Uh, and that rule of repeats uh, is good. And this is something I'm kind of making up. I'm sure there's someone who's got a much smarter title for it. Uh, but I, the rule of repeats is if you, you can't see the same thing happen twice. Um, and, you know, he gets resuscitated and therefore she doesn't get resuscitated. And I think it adds a, a sense of balance, a rightness. Like, why didn't she make it? Well, we've already seen someone else make it. And therefore, uh, the symmetry would be off if every time you did a thing, it worked. Uh, you're, you're, right. you're making a boring movie and a predictable movie. And we don't like predictability. And the same way that the first time he goes all in during the setup sequence of uh, winning that, that guy's car. And then he, he takes his car, takes his money, takes his girl. <laughs> like He just <laughs> takes everything from this dude. He wins there. And then, of course, we get to later in the film after he thinks he's spotted the tell. He goes all in again. And of course, he fails. And then the next time he goes all in, he wins. And so you can't see the same thing happen twice. And if you do, you're 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 on tricky, dicey territory. <laughs> yeah. One of the other, as far as uh, cinematography goes, one of the other things uh, I thought, I don't know how to really qualify this, but at the end when they are on the beach and they're kind of enjoying their lifestyle, I assume they probably didn't use the natural lighting of the, the sun there. Maybe they did. But my assumption is that they didn't just because you want to control the lighting for a really long time. And I think the easiest quickest way to do that because you can't always predict the clouds now maybe they got out there that day and said oh there's no clouds let's just go ahead and risk it and we can shoot faster this way that very well could happen there's plenty of productions that do that but my assumption as a james bond film that is that they set up a a huge like 
I don't know, 40 foot silk or maybe a hundred foot silk to, to block out the sun and then set up their own lights so that you could still get that hard sun lighting and keep it consistent between the coverage of him and her as you're going into their close-ups. Uh, that seems like the safer, quicker way, but again, maybe not. Maybe they just, you know, rolled out the sun. That's certainly faster. And especially if you're shooting in Italy or wherever they were, uh, it might be super feasible and predictable, but I bet they had silks if they did. I'm sure they had silks ready to go just in case, uh, you know, they started having cloud coverage issues. But yeah, story and writing. The humor I thought was always good because uh, usually the humor had a purpose. Like early in the film, uh, he crashes that Range Rover, right? He's the fake valet and he kind of takes these guys' cars. And mm-hmm. the humor itself works on a number of levels. One, they're, they're, they're rich and so we kind of dislike them just because uh, they're in this snooty place driving a snooty car, so to speak. Um, but then they also get snarky with them like, are you going to make me wait all day? And and then he, you know, just rear ends it into another car um, and it sets off all these car alarms. And it's kind of funny. You're like, man, Bond really doesn't give a damn. But in fact, it and we get a laugh out of it, but it's also creating a distraction for his entry and data theft. Um, and so they kind of get uh, two bangs for the buck on that. Like we get a laugh and it's like, oh, no, it's serving a function. He's not a careless, reckless guy that M was making us to believe he is, although he might still be a little bit of that. And so it gives you the idea that he's. His recklessness still serves a purpose, um, and it gave us a bit of humor. Also thought yeah. the, there was some humor with the, uh, the dress, the whole back and forth of, you know, I'm, I'm going to wear the suit that you want me to wear, and uh, she's going to wear the dress, and he gives her instructions like, you enter in, you know, to distract those guys, and she comes in and distracts him. And it's funny, like, we're, we're entertained, and we feel like this is just them kind of going back and forth at each other. But in reality, there's a deeper layer that they never really touch on. Um, But it hints at her true motivations because she was trying to distract him. She was trying to make him lose. And of course, even later in that that section, uh, we find out that she won't even stake him for the extra five million. And he thinks it's because she doesn't think he can win. But the reality is she thinks he can the real reason that she's withholding that money is because she doesn't want him to win. She thinks he's very well capable. And so there's a lot of layers that are happening there that aren't immediately obvious until uh, the movie's over and, you know, you're watching it with hindsight. And so that's really well done uh, in in a number of ways, like the, the, the humor of it and the, the the deeper execution, the layering of the, the motivations pretty And adding the American. Yeah. Adding the American as his fallout, like his bailout. Beautiful. That was brilliant writing there because we're, we're so, I think in America we're we recognize that this is a a British spy, but we look at James Bond as an American figure, I think in our heads. And so we kind of forget that there is a CIA and there is a, there is another agency at work. And of course, why wouldn't the CIA be involved in this? And when he pops up, it's perfect. God. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, Brilliant writing, brilliant writing that makes me actually think that uh, even if they don't touch on it, they thought about it. Yeah, right? they thought about no, she she would not want him to have the money. So how do we get him the money to let him continue playing? Oh, we add an American. We add the CIA. The CIA bankrolls him, and then the little the little quip about do you think we need the money at the end? What about when he asked him about the winnings? He's like. <laughs> 
look like we need the money. Yeah. Like that's just that's so American. So American. <laughs> <laughs> so American. Keep keep the hundred million. Yeah, you know, whatever. That's we just like, want the sheep. You want it. Yeah. You want it fair and square. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. And let's talk about the the seven ingredients and into the uh, the bond recipe of making a bond film first and this isn't exclusive to bond uh but exotic locations um you'll find this in you know you mentioned mission impossible the same thing in mission impossible you're going to want to see a lot of exotic and beautiful locations and the more there are the better and in this case we you know we pop into uganda uh then we go to the bahamas montenegro italy and that's not even to mention like london in Miami. What was funny, I noticed uh, I, I have had the movie playing in the background here and I noticed in the Bahamas, he's driving on the wrong side of the road uh, because he's, <laughs> this is just a stupid, like I doubt they were in the Bahamas adds then. anything uh, because his steering wheel is on the left side and he's driving on the left side of the road. Uh, and if you understand why steering wheels are where they are, it's to keep you in the center of the road so that you can see around vehicles and see what's coming. And so to have the steering wheel on the outside of the road is not safe. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. but yeah and so number one exotic locations number two high stakes uh and by that i mean the world there's got to be global stakes that's a key ingredient i think to bond films and in this case right it's terrorist attacks and so we're on the edge of our seat hoping that we don't fund terrorism and what's cool about I, what i really like about casino royale is you never really feel intensely about the stakes uh, from the terrorist organization. I feel I feel like you feel right. more intense about just you want Bond to win and you don't like the bad guy. And to me, that's more effective because when you start getting to such these massive, massive stakes of millions of lives are at stake, you can't empathize with millions of people. Totally good. You, yeah. yeah, right? Like you have to make it so much more personal uh, and they do that really effectively by not focusing too much on the outcome they mention it and it's you know a, a point of topic but it's much more you know uh, emblazoned through how we feel about bond and the villain itself um and that's so much more effective and i don't know involving i think that's so interesting you say that because i normally that's what i want you know yeah. when the film is high stakes but now that you mentioned that I'm like, yeah, that is a reason I do like that in this film specifically. Right. Yeah. And like a born film or something, I want high stakes, everything yeah. so stressful all the time. Right. But in this one, it's, it's more about bond and his relationship with the people around him and how he gets out of scenarios. It's less about the, the world high stakes, which I find refreshing because in every other type of spy movie it's always the world's gonna end or this nuclear whatever the literal biggest thing they can think of oh this this bad guy is gonna pull an asteroid down from the, from outer space right. whatever the biggest thing they can think of but in this case they don't make that play you know they go the opposite almost it's it, it was almost like i i knew who the bad guy was it was obvious i mean he cried blood but the other real bad guy was bad guys were the terrorists Right. And this guy was just basically funding them. Just by a role player. Taking their money. Right. Yeah. So, but we barely see the terrorists and they die halfway through. So, or at least like the main ones do, uh, not all of them, obviously. So 
it was very confusing from a bad guy point of view, from like a, a stakes point of view, mm-hmm. you know? And then he stops the, the one guy from driving into the plane. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. So that he, he stops. I mean, he keeps winning, but the bad guy keeps slightly changing. Like the first bad guy he finds, he ends up killing, which is he, the guy who took his car and his money and his girl. And he ends up killing the dude. And the next bad guy was the guy he stopped from driving the thing in the car into the plane. And then the next bad guy is the, is the, the, the guy who cries blood and the, the and, main, but the main bad guy was the guy, the guys at the beginning who were the terrorists. So like there were so many bad guys, but they were just like little bad things they were trying to do. Totally. And that yeah. a lot of that happens just in the first half of the movie, right? He gets his double right. status. He kills the two bombers, prevents the bombing. Um, and it's just heavy on action and establishing Bond's personality before moving into the drama. Uh, now that we kind of know what he's capable of, we can, to some extent, we've kind of worn out the audience like, oh, you're tired now. Let's let's feed you some story um, and start moving into that. And Bond takes the uh, everything, you know, takes takes it over, takes the guy's money, and that becomes kind of a, a theme for the, the rest of the film of kind of taking things from other people. And that, I think, to some degree, maybe becomes our our, our action item on the list, uh, so to speak, is to kind of keep stripping things away from the bad guy, not necessarily killing him, though that becomes, you know, a result. But he never starts with that intention. Like, even whenever he was chasing the 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 guy with the scars on his face through you know buildings and skyscrapers and construction sites and uh, embassies. Uh, his goal was never to kill him. He wanted to capture him. He was very explicit about that. And I think that goes throughout the entire movie. He's never really trying to kill anybody, uh, but people get dead. <laughs> it's just the, the byproduct <laughs> of the way he does business. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that. So yeah, number two, high stakes. And the exception to the rule here is the emotional stakes with love. Um, his heart is one of the uh, the stakes that come into play in the, the third act. Uh, that's a great, you know, as we mentioned a little while ago, like that's a great, great uh, exception that you don't get out of Bond films. At least none that I've seen. I've never, to be honest, uh, I've never seen anything before the Brosnan films. Um, so don't throw things at my friend Regina, like nags me on this. She's like, I can't believe you haven't seen Roger Moore, Roger Moore. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. Probably maybe. Yeah. Um, never. And so <laughs> this, I love the emotional stakes, uh, on the line here. And it really makes us care and invest in Daniel Craig as a bond character for, it's a great way to set up and establish a brand new bond. We're doing all kinds of new things that are antithetical to maybe bond as a character, but certainly the previous iteration. Number three in the, the bond recipe, you need to sprinkle in a evil bad guy with a physical defect or a physical enhancement. Um, and in this case, uh, the guy only has the, uh, and I think in the, most of these iterations, I'm not going to go through them all for spoiler reasons, but I want to say there's no physical enhancements. Like they all have defects, uh, as opposed to maybe some of the older films that I don't know, they have like golden hands and random shit, but they, they tend to go more towards the defects. And I think that's kind of uh, speaking to evil as being a character flaw, uh, being physically represented in the character itself, which is cool. And it's pretty identifiably Bond. I don't feel like I see this out of any of the other spy films. Um, This is a a Bond-specific thing, so that's kind of cool. Number four um, of seven uh, 
is high tech. Like normally you're gonna have a car with gadgets um, and they're not gonna be used in the way that they were intended. This is another exception to that rule. Like we don't really get, we get the car. He gets a sweet car and we get uh, a defibrillator out of left field um, that saves his life and it, it's perfect. It's executed in exactly the right way to uh, make us feel like this isn't too easy and he has to earn it. That's excellent storytelling. And I love that, you know, they're kind of saving something for later, I feel like. I, I want to say we get more gadgets as the series moves on. But in this one, they're kind of saying, we're not going to give you all the usual stuff. We're going to give you something different and give you more to look forward to. Like we don't meet his gadget guy, Q or whoever it ends up being. And so I love that. I love that, you know, we kind of save the high tech stuff for later while still managing. And, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, sorry to interrupt. But and the interesting way they, they introduce you to the defibrillator when he hits the button and it opens and then closes and then the second drawer opens with the gun in it. Like it's basically like in order to get the gun, this first one has to open and then that it makes you think like that's just the way that it happens. And that's why we see this defibril defibrillator. You don't necessarily know what it is, but you see the thing. Yeah. Right. Right. It's it's just brilliant rather than, oh, he just knows to go to his car. Oh, and there's a fucking defibrillator that just happens to be there. That would have pissed us off. Yeah. But because we had we saw it, we didn't even know what it was, but we saw it at one point just for a second. We know why he's at his car when the thing opens and he starts and he pulls it out. It's like, oh, makes sense. He's already done his homework. He's already good. And I love yeah. that edit. Uh, it's one of these things where. You can overthink storytelling sometimes because we go from the bathroom of him throwing up, right? Taking the, uh, the salt, the saline solution, mm -hmm. makeshift salt water and getting himself to throw up to buy some time. And then we cut straight to the parking lot of him walking up to his car. It would yeah. be really, really easy to overthink that and have him walking through the casino um, and stumbling around and ruining his reputation and looking like a fool. Um, and they don't do that. Instead, uh, we cut straight to the point of the that the, the story, which is let's get to him saving himself. And you don't feel as, I don't know, stressed out or I don't know, just it helps the credibility of the moment to not feel like. Where how long does this poison take to kill him? Because we've already seen him do the X, Y, and Z, and now he's doing another thing. Um, and so, and that way it makes uh, the buy-in of like, yeah, he's almost going to die. Like it keeps the tension high and is just a smart way. I probably would have overthought that one a little bit, but I'm glad, I'm glad someone else isn't. Well done, Martin. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't direct yeah. Casino Royale. And so number five of the Bond recipes, uh, a femme fatale. In this case, Eva Green. And number six is a betrayal. And in this case, that's Eva Green. <laughs> uh, Vesper, um, I should say. Vesper is a great character and a great way to name his martini, uh, the Vesper martini, which I looked up to make sure that that was, in fact, what that martini is called. Um, and so they kind of gave a backstory to uh, the martini. And... Yeah, that's you're always going to have some some betrayal or, you know, someone did something that, you know, you couldn't see coming. That's the twist, right, of uh, most spy yeah. movies in and of itself, because spy spy work is all about craft work, the ability to engage in a, a, a plot and plots, uh, you know, of a government, you know, espionage type. Of course, there's double crossing involved and that's just goes with the territory. And so you're always anticipating a double cross. And they do a great job of giving us a, a goat, a scapegoat early on with 
the his buddy uh, Mathis, and we think, oh yeah, he's a bad guy because he, Vesper would never betray us. And of course, you know that's a great and it serves so many useful functions because we find out that Vesper was you know his uh, betrayer. And at the end, when Bond is talking to M, she's like, I'm glad you learned your lessons. Should we uh, uh, cut Mathis loose? He's being investigated right now, pretty hardcore. And he's like, nope, stay on it. She's like, I, okay. <laughs> like, I, I like where your head's at. Because <laughs> he's like, I trust nobody anymore. Um, and that's just perfectly. So that's, they, they get a lot of mileage out of Mathis uh, as a, you know, false move, uh, false, a red herring. Um, and then, of course, as a character motivation for Bond and the way he now sees the world uh, because of the way he was betrayed. Perfect. Really, really good storytelling. Uh, I will say that I wasn't I wasn't crazy about him explaining everything during the, the games. Oh, sure. The, the game to, to Vesper. I, I felt like was like really you could have that was lazy you could have found a way like maybe the dealer says how much is in the pot yeah. at one point or something like that or or you hear someone i don't know like there's just some other creative way to say that but they do it like multiple times i want to say like at least three if not four times he whispers to her you know something that's like you really didn't have to. Yeah, it's, you really didn't have to feed that to me. You know, it's funny. I mean, I understand why they did it, just because this is such a broad, yeah, based you know appeal movie that you understand we're going to be getting people like you and I uh, in the audience, but you're also going to get people who may not think through all those aspects and they may not be understanding that the stakes right now are he thinks he sees the tail and therefore he's going to he's going all in, and so they. They announce it for the people in the back seats that are uh, maybe not as sharp and uh, helping yeah. to create the stakes, no pun intended, because they're playing poker. There are literal stakes, but the stakes beyond that, you know, need to be explained of not only how poker is played, but what Bond is thinking in that moment, because the other way to do that is much like, you know, the setup, which was let's you know, do a close up of him scratching his temple um, and then do a close up of Bond seeing him scratch his temple. And now we've and then Bond goes all in like those three cuts tell what he's thinking and what he's trying to do. And that would have been, you know, the the simpler, swifter, less clumsy way to do it. And they went for let's, you know, uh, broadcast this out to everybody so that, yeah, we can set and it I up guess- and fail. And I guess it was important for Mathis to say that Hmm. kind of reestablishing that he's, he understands everything that's happening and therefore he may have been the one to tell exactly. that's a good point for for him to say, for for him to say that's the tell. Okay. He knows what the tell is. So then later on when he realizes that Mathis is the one who told, uh, uh, the chief, the chief that he about the tell that, that bond, realize then yeah okay yeah that, that does make sense we've, okay that's a really really good point because yeah we've now you know established multiple times that he understands and therefore he and by having him say it uh mansplaining it to, to vesper <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then we uh have a very much better chance of remembering not only who Mathis is, but uh, why he was the betrayer. Um, yeah, because he came in late in the story. Because my other thought was, why didn't they have Vesper say it? Mm. You know, Vesper could have said it to him, and then it could have been, and then she could have mentioned to Bond that she noticed and she told Mathis. 
in which case then Bond could still be like, oh, Mathis knew, you know, later on. Yeah. But in that, but, but Mathis comes in so late in the movie that we kind of, you're right. We kind of need to establish him in some way so that you remember him so that it's not completely out of the blue. Yeah. Bond is like, oh, Mathis, you know, <laughs> whatever, and goes after him, even though it is a little bit out of the blue, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest, though. Half of what 007s realize in movies is very out of the blue. Yeah. That no one would ever be like, oh, and that's right. So and so was yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes to a very important distinction between a spy movie and a mystery. Uh, they are not the same thing, um, and their realizations aren't realizations that we should have. And that's uh, just part and parcel of you know watching them uh, work. And so. And that's okay. Like, it's not what you should expect coming into a spy film is being able to guess the ending. Hopefully not. I mean, maybe you, you guess who the, the the betrayer is, but beyond that, uh, you should just be there for the ride and for the, the banter, especially. I would make a terrible spy. <laughs> I, would, I would die on day one. I would trust everyone and everyone would kill me. In terrible ways at the same time. I would also die for the exact opposite reason. I would never trust anyone, and therefore I would never have any allies, and I would get killed <laughs> by working on my own. <laughs> oh, no. Everyone who didn't kill me would like me. <laughs> All right. But, <laughs> but it wouldn't matter because I would be dead. Uh, well, what's number seven? Number Sorry, seven. I keep derailing. Yeah, no, no. Number seven of the Bond recipe is cocktail attire events we need a reason for bond to suit up and drink a martini look good um, yeah. and you have to have those events they're not part and parcel to every spy film now they are often in there um, because we like to see our spies you know doing glamorous things but bond is inseparable from that even even in this one like the whole movie revolves around his ability to get into a suit <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he even has to change it multiple times. Like, uh, it's absolutely perfect. And then uh, I threw in a secret number eight, but this is endemic to most action films that there's going to be a boss fight. There's going to be explosions. There's going to be henchmen. And that's all fine. That, that's most spy films and action films in general. And normally it bothers me. In this case, it didn't that there's henchmen who just keep getting killed over and over again. Uh, oh, dude. Yeah. And this one, it just didn't, it never really caught my attention because it always felt natural. It always felt uh, earned and it always made sense to me, uh, not only why they're there and how they got there, but also why he's better. And I think they mostly do that through creating a lot of tension for making Bond so scrappy. He really has to work for every yard he gets. And it always just felt very, very earned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's more or less. And again, that's not uh, my definitive list i would have to watch in uh, a lot more bond films but that seems uh, like a reasonable starting point of seven that's good uh, bond things now for the the last section of my notes vesper so watching this she kills herself how did that feel to you in the moment it felt it felt bad i mean it felt terrible you know because he he still loved her he still wanted to save her i think that she still loved him I think they both still loved each other and she just couldn't, wouldn't be able to live with herself even if he said it's okay and forgave her. And so, and she knew that. And so she, she did that. I, I mean, I, yeah, I remember being heartbroken watching this in the theater. Yeah. I just, you know, wanted them, I wanted them to, 
you know, be happy together, and have you know, it. and whereas somebody, somebody who might be wiser in films and like know what to expect and see things might have seen that coming or seen the fact that, oh, you know, they've run off together and it's not going to work out coming, but didn't necessarily. I thought, I thought she was going to die, but not by betraying him. I thought she was going to mm. die because they were, you know, somebody's going to kidnap her and that was going to lead into the sec, the, the next Bond film and he was going to want to get revenge. And, you know, and that didn't quite happen, but that was why I didn't see the double cross coming. You know, at first when I, I, I thought it was going to end with him in the hospital and her there and, you know, well, we love each other, blah, blah, blah. but then it kept going, you know, that scene kept going. And after maybe a, a I don't know, a couple of minutes. I think maybe when it didn't cut out, when it didn't leave after the guy gave them the money, after they did the the balance transfer, when it didn't leave after that, I thought, okay, this is going to go somewhere else. And then it went somewhere else. And I thought, okay, if this doesn't end in the next 60 seconds, then we have a whole nother section to this movie. And it didn't end. I said, okay, there's another section in this movie she's definitely going to die. But I just, I did, you know, I didn't yeah. see it as her being the one that was going to, that was going to betray him or that there would be any betrayal at all. Really. I just thought the guy, like the guy with the, the eye patch that she sees, I thought that cause her reaction was really like, huh, that was weird. Yeah. Instead of, Hey, I think someone's watching us or there's a, there's someone here. Yeah, It was like that. It was like, it, well, no, it was, it was like a, hmm, that was strange. Other than inst- instead of like, a, oh, oh shit, that's that's the dude I'm supposed to meet up with. Yeah. You know, like later. Like I totally did not get that vibe mm. from that moment. But I also knew she was going to die because Bond didn't see that guy. Bond right. always sees the guy, right? His defense he is always down. knows when he's being followed, when someone's around that's bad or whatever, but his defenses are completely down. So something bad was going to happen. And he isn't going to die at the end of the film because it's a Bond film. Bond does not die. So it had to be her. There had to be some kind of cost to that. So nice. Yeah. I think, I think I, every time, except this time, every time I've had the exact same reaction as you, like devastated because we were building a future and that was a great future. And I liked them together and I liked all of that. And so, but this time I was watching it and she and I was trying to remember how does she die? Uh, I remember like that she drowns, but I thought it was a different kind of drama. And I see her with the key, and she locks herself in, um, and, yeah. and she commits to it. And I was every other time I've been heartbroken, but this time I was like, wait, why is she killing herself? That's dumb. Don't do that. And so I spent a lot of time after the fact. I was still upset that she she was dead. <laughs> But I was confused as well. And I realized that there was a storytelling conundrum that they had right there, which is if she does not kill herself, we hate her for what she's done and we don't trust her. She can't earn our trust back because she's already betrayed him. But by killing herself, we know she's human and feels guilty for her actions, right? She betrayed Bond and her country. But, you know, some like me may feel confusing in the moment to the viewer, but uh, we do feel bad for Bond. And it is a great setup for, you know, giving us a guiltless and 
childless for other reasons, a playboy persona of Bond. And so that was just a really elegant way to kind of solve a, a storytelling issue of we can't trust her. We're not going to like her because of what she's done to Bond. And if we could trust her, then we could like her again, of course. Uh, but we 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 felt that they could see that coming and it made the most sense uh, to have her sacrifice herself to kind of redeem her uh, and to make her likable again. And also to break our heart even further because, uh, you know, we see what Bond could have had and now he's completely distrustful of everyone. And uh, he even calls her a bitch. And it's just like, damn, bro, <laughs> like yeah. you were ready to leave your, your one true passion uh, because they do a great job early on of setting up that, you know, he cares for nothing else. Like he is all about the job and in so many ways. And I freaking wrote it down. And I can't find my note now. There's just, well, but he, they also use it as a, as a, uh, the ability to establish more of bond as a human, right? Because when he, after he kills the, the last guy, doesn't even think he dives into the water to try to save her. Yeah, right? that's right. She just like she's the only reason. Like he loses all the money. She she's the only, she's the reason why, and he doesn't care. He wants to save her life. He just he loves her, and then he will not leave her. He does not leave until until he gets the gate open and he's reaching for her until he actually reaches her and pulls her out. Like I didn't expect him to come up with her body. Yeah. You just expect it he to came up, right. So they they take it all the way to the end, man. They not only does he dive in to save her without even thinking, he stays underwater and breaks into the into the, the gate, breaks the lock, and then will not leave her until he reaches her and brings her up and puts her on you know on the uh, on the ground and gives try, mouth to mouth and tries to resuscitate her. Uh, all of these things, and he's heartbroken. You can tell. I mean, he gets up and he leaves because he's like. He's James Bond. Yeah. Right. But he's a master of his still, body. Like he's not ruled yeah. by sex or pain, everything, money. It all takes a backseat to the job. Yeah. And this was the one time that he gave up that autonomy to, to something other than work. And of course, like you said, a, a, you know, bit him in the ass and he just walks away. He's like, yep, never again. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's pretty Amazing. much all I had. What would you, what would you give it? Ooh, this is I'm watching the scene right now uh, where he's in the chair and the guy's swinging the rope. Oh, God. I, I don't even want to talk about it. So I don't even. Brutal. I invited my wife to watch this with me and she said no because of the torture scene. It's so. Cannot do that. Brutal. Cannot do that. I'm, she didn't even have balls. So it's just like <laughs> empathy. <laughs> like you can't even imagine. Oh, I. This is a tough one to rate. Like, I think for me, this is like an eight and a half. I want to go to a nine. I don't really have a good reason for why not. It's got pretty much everything I want out of a movie. It's got romance. It's got amazing action, great acting. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I'll give it a nine. I, I think I just talked myself into a nine. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. I'll give it, I'm giving it a solid eight. Nice. Uh, I think that, you know, there were a few things that, that just took me out of the story mm. and they might've been necessary. Um, and that's fine, but they just took me out, but I loved so much about it. I loved the, the story itself. I loved the acting. I loved the writing, the, a lot of what happened. Uh, I just really loved and, um, and the rewatchability is definitely there. I mean, I could watch it again mm. tomorrow and, 
and be entertained. Yeah. Right? Um, it's really hard for me to give Bond films any higher than like, than, than that, you know, only because I'm more of a, you know, born identity kind of mm. spy uh, movie person. That's more, a little bit more real world realistic where they, they are out of breath when they run and they get hurt. Uh, I guess he gets hurt a lot in this film. So this is definitely the best Bond film. He does, he's the best Bond. I will say all of that easily. Yeah, this is my uh, favorite, my personal favorite, even of the yeah. Daniel Craig's. Like this is easily my favorite Bond film. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, a solid eight, easy, maybe an eight and a half on a good day. Nice. So nice. Yeah. yeah. So what are you going to recommend this week? Yeah. So I'm going to stick with the the spy, the British spy theme, and go with Kingsman. Ooh. Yeah, fantastic film that I I loved right out the gate, and I didn't know much about it when I saw it, and I walked out like, oh my god! You talk about like action fight sequences, and Colin Firth in this film is just like, I, I mean, you don't, you know, you think Kingsman, and you think you think Colin Firth, and you don't think you know a, a super spy, and yet he just destroys in this film. It's like the casting is so fantastic in this film uh and it's just a lot of fun to watch and it's really rewatchable uh so yeah Kingsman. nice i'm gonna recommend another movie by martin campbell who directed this called the foreigner stars jackie chan oh yeah and his most dramatic role i've ever seen him in um he is mm-hmm. excellent the movie is fantastic and it also stars pierce brosnan a former uh bond character and so yeah Highly recommend it if you want something that, once again, combines drama with action. Uh, and if you want to see Jackie Chan as a really good actor, uh, you should definitely go check out The Foreigner. I think that's also streaming on Netflix at the moment. I would have to double check the chicken on that. But he's also he's also really good in the the new Karate Kid. Oh, with, no uh, kidding! Yeah, uh, Jaden Smith. Yeah, Jaden Smith. I, I we, nice. We went through. My my son loves karate movies and you know kung fu stuff, and so we watched all the Karate Kids. I can tell you which we should just do the trilogy of the Karate Kids. Yeah. I have so much to say. Really, on all three of them? On all three of them, I have so much to say about about those movies. Oh my god, um, Daniel Larusso or Daniel Russo? Uh, don't even get me started. But the the one with uh, Jane Smith and then Jackie Chan as the as Mr. Miyagi he's f- freaking phenomenal in it he's almost better than the original Mr. Miyagi who is fantastic he is the one who he makes those films but yeah yeah so Jackie Chan is just a great actor in general yes and I want you to, so we talked about this before uh, recording an episode a couple weeks ago you have not seen Community the TV show there's an episode where they uh, reenact Karate Kid to some extent. Oh. I if you you could just watch that one episode, I think it'll make you want to watch more Community. But you should just watch that one right now, seeing as you're so in tune with uh, Karate Kid. <laughs> I think you're so in tune with Karate Kid. <laughs> Put him in a body bag. <laughs> Sweep the leg. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very cool. So stay tuned. Next week, we're going to cover Love Jones. It's streaming right now on, I want to say, HBO, uh, HBO Max, and probably all 75 HBO 
apps yeah, that are out there. It's kind of wild. Yeah. But yeah, you should be able to check that out. And it has uh, Lorenz Tate, Neil Long. It's just a good old fashioned mid to late 90s uh, uh, romance film. Cool. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes. Um, leave us a note if there's something that you want us to talk about or uh, whatever, especially if you say it in a review. Man, I've been listening to this new podcast about uh, stock trading, and they just started, and they have almost 400 reviews. They've been going for like two weeks now, and they have 400, and it just shot them up. It shot them up the rankings, like right behind Gary V. And what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so I'm just so envious of those guys. Really good well, information. Just they're talking about they're talking about money. They're talking about money, and that's what everybody needs more of right now. And they have a massive uh, uh, Twitter following, and I think they have a big Discord following. Um, and mm. so they just yeah, and I'm like, oh. so if you don't believe us, the reviews really do help, and uh, we're not just saying that to you know to have something to say at the end of every episode. <laughs> <laughs> it really does help. So uh, if you haven't dropped, we don't review, need more things to say. We really don't. Um, you know, that would be really cool. You know, we'd appreciate it and happy to, to read a review. You know, whoever does one next, my hats off to everyone who has left one. We know some of you are already on top of it. And, you know, even if you don't, we still love you. you, you you're welcome back. You're, you're in the fold. And if you want to drop a note on this specific episode, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash casino royale. And, there's going to be a link in there because I also forgot I wanted to touch on how they destroyed the building. They built the they rebuilt a section yes. of Venice on a Hollywood back lot and then like sank it like it's absolutely incredible. Oh, my God. Um, and so I will link that in the show notes that you can find at the com slash Casino Royale. I can't wait to watch that. Freaking cool. And the quote of the day we'll leave you with is from Jackie Chan. Do not let circumstances control you. You change your circumstances. I mean, that is that, that is just life, man. Why is it that, you know, guys like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee are the ones who like, they, they're just, they get it, you know, like, like. There's so much you, discipline that goes into mastering your body that mm-hmm. I would assume there has to be a ton of hangover with mental fortitude um, and the ability to analyze. And I've always heard that about, you know, martial arts is that it's not something that you use as a weapon. It's a, it's an attitude. It's a, not just self-defense, but it's a way of, of life, you know, not to be, you know, nickel bubblegum wrapper prophetic here. Uh, but it is just kind of an attitude towards life and it's echoed through how you control your body in in your craft in martial arts. And I certainly don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just interesting because it just, it, it, it's a great quote because it puts power in your hands, right? It like allows you to understand, to really understand and uh, that that you have your own fate in your own hands. And you mentioned Gary Vee earlier. He's such a great, uh, like say what you will about him. Cause he's very aggressive and he's very like, you either do this or you don't. And he's pretty black and white. Or you don't, yeah. he's very black and white. And, you know, we, we talked, you know, last week. And if you, if you're interested, go listen, go listen to the Steve jobs episode. But we talked about like these types of people, these types of very aggressive black and white people 
do they need to exist in order for things to change, for things to, to be different or to happen that wouldn't necessarily happen? Progress. It's kind of polarizing conversation, um, even with my wife and I. She doesn't think that they do, but I, I do. I think that they do. I think that people like Gary Vee need to exist because they put they make you realize that you only have one life. And I'm 40 now. And, you know, maybe some people listening are older and they think 40 is young. I don't, I mean, I feel young, but when I was 20, I thought 40 was a fucking lifetime away. I was never going to be 40. And now I am. And so you can say that maybe my mortality is, is coming into play or it, it, in my head or, or not. But the point is, is that that kind of stuff really matters. Like when you, when you say you've only got one life, I'm like, oh, yes. Oh my God, you're right. And half of it is gone. You know what I mean? But when I'm 20, I'm not thinking half of it's gone. I'm thinking I'm only 20. But you need to realize when you're 20, when you're 15, when you're 25, when you're 30, whatever day you realize that you are going to die. And not it's not the knowledge that you're going to die. It's, it's the realization that you're going to die. You need to do things. You, if you have a goal, you got to go get it. If you don't like where you're at, you change your change your stars. You know, like um, uh, it's a quote from a movie. Uh, you can name it later, but you have the power and, to do that. And I love this quote because it gives you that power back. If you feel like that you don't have that power, if you feel like life is beating you down, maybe there's some things you can't change. But why worry about those? Because you can't change those try to change the things you can it's easy for someone like me to say that when i'm not in a situation like that but i have been in situations like that and i have changed my circumstance in those moments sometimes i haven't and sometimes it takes a long time to do that but yeah because to me i read a quote like this and i don't try to get too dogmatic about it like in the sense that you can control everything like obviously you can't but i don't right. think this this mindset is going to make any situation worse the idea that you can change your circumstances and that you can respond to life uh in, in any way that you choose it's probably never going to make your situation worse um it should sober you up with whatever you're faced with and empower you to try to navigate it the best way you know how uh instead of just immediately you know admit defeat and sometimes maybe admitting defeat is how you take control over it you know that's but there's a difference between being defeated and choosing a path. Um, and I feel like this is just an empowering way to look at life. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, getting come in handy. <laughs> Absolutely. I got, I got so much I want to say about this. I'm not going to guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, <laughs> join us next week. Where we'll do, we'll be covering love Jones Jones. So make sure to go watch that beforehand. Uh, and leave us leave us a review please uh, they make a huge difference and thank you to everybody who has already uh, until next time I'm Todd I'm Wes go watch some movies